Thank you, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. My name is Pete. I'm the pastor. And uh, as we come to God's word, <clears throat> I have a question for you. Have you ever been bullied? You don't have to answer out loud or raise a hand, but uh, can you turn that one over in your mind? Have you ever been bullied in your life? Has anyone ever just oppressed you and been mean over a period of time? I have. I mean, there was one particular year in school when one older boy just made my life miserable. And uh, I don't suppose it was as bad as some people experience, but it leaves an imprint on you, doesn't it? Maybe you know somebody at the moment who's being bullied or just suffering cruelty or abuse at the hands of somebody else. It's horrible. And today in our Bible reading, we're going to turn to a fairly obscure part of the Bible, Habakkuk chapter 2. And uh, he is het up about a bully called Babylon. And we're going to see what God says to him about it. So Habakkuk chapter 2, page 941, if you'd like to follow with your eyes. 941. Starting at verse 6. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How, mu- how long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming round to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone. Wake up. Can you give guidance? It's covered with silver and gold, but there is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray?
Almighty God, thanks be to you for your word. We love the Bible. We want to hear from it. It does seem a bit strange this morning, Father, but we pray you would speak to us. Where it's strange to our ears, would you tune our ears? Where we don't have eyes to see, would you give us the Holy Spirit? Where our hearts need to swell and see the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covering the earth. Please would you give us those eyes to see this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I saw a woman, clothed in scarlet. She was sitting on a beast. She was glittering with gold and jewels, and she was drunk with this cup of frothing wine in her hand. And on her forehead was printed the words, Babylon the Great. So says John in Revelation chapter 17. And Babylon the Great, by the, stage, by the time you get to the very end of the Bible, we're kind of halfway through the Bible right here, aren't we? But by the time you get to the very end of the Bible, Babylon has become this code word. Babylon means bully by the end of the Bible. And it's been picked up and Habakkuk and other prophets used it to, to describe bully governments, bully countries who throw their weight around and make other people's lives miserable. And by the end of the Bible, Christians were using it to say, that's Babylon. You know, they were actually talking generally about Rome by that stage, but Babylon, men, Babylon the Great. She'd made herself drunk with other people's blood and murder and foulness. And as we come to consider bullies, it seems odd to me at, at, at first glance that I was considering this Babylon and Mothering Sunday. Could they be more opposite? <laughs> but that's kind of the point, isn't it? I mean, you, <clears throat> if you have a good mother in your life, that she's like the anti-bully. She's like, she's like the soft, warm layer in your life. A good mum, she's wrap you up and make you feel like, actually, there, there may be bullies out there, but your mum loves you. And uh, so it does seem appropriate that God has led us to this point on this Sunday as we consider some of the injustices in the world. We don't close our ears to them, do we? And we've been looking at this little series in Habakkuk the Prophet. We're about halfway through. We've got one week left next week. And we've been seeing how Habakkuk, he was a prophet who was really anguished about the, the, the bully Babylon in his life. And they'd come and they'd, they smashed his country. They, they, they were threatening to smash Judah and they were going to take them into exile. And he's crying out to God and complaining, why are you letting them get away with this? They're so mean. And so we called our series Complaining to God. And today uh, is a taunt, which you don't often deal with in the Bible, do you? But you see verse six, if you have verse six, will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn. It's a, it's a taunt, kind of like a taunt song. And there's one word that gets repeated five times, woe, W-O-E, woe, which isn't a very modern word, is it? But let's have a little quiz, shall we? I need you to help me here. Um, five times it comes up in verses 6 to 20. Shall we see if we can together get them all? Anybody think they've got one? Verse Six, that's the first one. Yeah, you see that? Woe to him. Yeah, where's, the, where's another one? Nine is the next one. Yes, woe to him. Twelve, I heard someone say, is the next one. Yeah, woe to him. Fifteen is the fourth one. Yeah, woe to him. And finally, nineteen. Yeah, nineteen is towards the end. So I'm not making it up. So five woes, that's the repeated phrase. And that is the... That's the theme, that's the main word in our passage today. So what do, we, what do we do with that? God is saying, woe to bully Babylon, five times. Well, let me try, I want to try and just walk you through them. We'll, we'll, we'll break it down, we'll see what God is saying. If I had to sum it all up, I'd say, is this, justice is coming. And woe is like a, in a biblical way of saying, 
you won't get away with this. You think you're getting away with it. You won't get away with this because justice is coming sooner or later. So let's try and unpack that a little bit. I'm going to try and touch on all five of these and then we'll bring it into 21st century life as much as we can. Five woes, and I've put, the, uh, I've put them on the sermon sheet. So if you turn over your church family news, you'll find them all there because I realize five is rather a lot. I've also put the, the, the structure of Habakkuk in case you're new here or you need a reminder. Remember, there's, there's two cycles of Habakkuk questioning God and then there's chapter three, which is a song. Okay, first woe. The plundered will plunder. Verses six to eight. It says, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So you see, I, I summarize this as saying, look, woe to you because the plundered will plunder. It's a bit like we say you know, in modern language, what goes around comes around. Look, Babylon, if you plunder other people, they're going to come and get you one day. When you're weak, when you're not strong anymore, when you can't put up your army and your superpowers, they're going to come and plunder you because you've taught them how to do it. This literally happened to Babylon, and you can see it with your own eyes. If you go to the British Museum in Hoburn, Britain's number one tourist attraction, apparently. People go here all the time. You go to the British Museum, you can see this clay cylinder. It's called the Chronicle of Nabonidus. He was a Babylonian king. It's in room 55 at the top of the stairs, and uh, he was boasting about all his victories and all the, all, the, all the battles he'd won in Babylon. Guess why it's in London? Anybody? Why have we got it? I can't hear very well. Yeah, because at one stage, Britain was the most powerful. We're not really anymore. But, you know, let's not get into the politics of the British Museum and the artifacts. But, you know, Babylon, they weren't the most powerful country anymore. Britain was. So we took it. And we're not really that anymore, but we've still got the clay. So, you know, look, Babylon, the plundered will plunder. And we have the evidence right in front of our noses in London. Secondly, second woe, the house won't stand. Verses 9 to 11. Woe to, woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. The house won't stand. So the picture here is of a nest. It's kind of evocative, isn't it? It's like a, uh, an eagle or some strong bird building its nest up high. And an ancient king, they did resemble that because they'd often build their, their capital city on a mountain with a wall around it. And they'd put like, sentries on the ramparts and they'd have the toughest, meanest sentries in all, in, in all the known world. And they'd have this amazing palace like up high and it would be beautiful. And they'd, they'd be able to survey the valley that they ruled and it would be panelled with cedar and painted red which was so rare and all sorts of things like that so woe to you if you build your nest on high you've plotted the ruin of many peoples and the stones of the wall will cry out this is slightly hard to understand but I think what this is getting at is look Babylon if, if you build your royal dynastic house on injustice and wickedness it won't stand so if, if you make 
like injustice and cruelty, the beams and the stones of your kingdom, people won't put up with that forever. Sooner or later, it'll creak and groan. You know, like a, like a house that's not built very well. The other day, my kids wanted to make a den. So we got, you know, I thought, oh, okay, I'll join in. And it's quite fun, isn't it? We've got all the cushions off the sofa and got some blankets out and covered the thing over and there was just room for them to crawl in. I was too big, but they had a great time. And the thing about a den is it's really fun, but it doesn't last very long because... Yeah, it's just not, it's not built structurally sound. And a kingdom that's built on injustice, cruelty, it's not structurally sound. It, it won't last. Sooner or later, if you just flog people until they're dead, then sooner or later all your workforce is gone. Or they revolt against you and they kill you. Your house won't stand. So, so Babylon, it won't work. By the way, this gives me great hope. I read this this week and I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. I mean, if nothing else, for the people of North Korea, I'm so grateful that the eagle sitting in his nest, you know, he won't stand. I, sooner or later, I'm very confident that North Korea, that government will fall. It just doesn't seem fair to me. You might be able to think of other unjust governments run by dictators around the world. Woe to them. Your house won't stand. So the plundered will plunder, the house won't stand. Third thing, this, this is actually the high point of the whole passage, the third woe, the Lord is building, verses 12 to 14. It says, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Babylon were building this great kingdom by bloodshed and the town by injustice. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, you know, one of the seven wonders of the world, probably built by slave labor, people who had been stolen from others and made to produce this great wonder. They were building it by injustice. But the point here is wonderful, isn't it? The, the, verse 14, the Lord has a building plan of his own for the world and it is amazing. It is wonderful. He's going to fill the world with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. How do you do that? I mean, to, co- to cover something like the ocean covers the world, that's amazing. Is there, anything, is there any metaphor bigger than that? Like to, to, to fill something like the oceans cover, what, 70% of the world? I was trying to work out how this works. How, how do you do that? How do you fill the world with knowledge? Best I can come up with, let's see if you can beat this, is um, Queen Elizabeth. I think she might be the most well-known person in the world today. Tell me if you disagree afterwards, but you know, she sat on the throne 70 years, very well-known figure. I've traveled to a few countries in the world. Everyone knows Queen Elizabeth, right? You can go all over the world. People know her. They know about her glory, as it were. How, how have the royal family done that? That's, that's an amazing PR feat, isn't it? To, to have someone known the world over. Well, thinking about it, I mean, coins, they help, don't they? Banknotes, her face is on just lots of stuff. Um, stamps, she's on all the stamps, so you send letters around the world, she's there. But it's more than that, isn't it? She, I mean, she's, she's traveled, and she dedicated her life to traveling to so many countries, so that, that helps if every country has kind of received you at some point and been uh, able to get excited about you if they want to. But then perhaps, even more than all of that, she, she stands for something, right? She, like, in this country, she, she kind of embodies equality, democracy, so people 
they like to get behind that. She's a, she's a, she was a figurehead for all of those things. The Lord is doing something bigger than that. So he, he says here, I'm going to fill the world with the knowledge of, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Take, this is a promise. It's picked up by Isaiah as well, Isaiah chapter 11. And 2 Corinthians 4 says he's, he's, the world is experiencing the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. So Jesus is particularly the one, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, who the whole world gets to know. So I take this as a great prophetic promise that actually God is going to, it's like a great tide washing warm across the world. He's going to fill the world with the knowledge of Jesus. So it's that you could go to any country and bit by bit they're going to know all about Jesus. And people group by people group, they're going to know about the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord through Jesus Christ, his son. How is he doing that? I mean, Jesus, he's not on coins, is he? It's even more amazing than the royal family thing. He's not on banknotes. He doesn't even represent a particular country. He's just doing it because people love him and they choose to worship Jesus. So God is building this thing that all around the world people know about the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Pastor John Piper writes on this particular verse, God is aiming at a world filled with worshipping human beings. Isn't that amazing? In contrast to what Babylon were doing, you know, bow the knee to me or I'll chop off your head. God is filling the world with someone who's so good and so gracious that he says, bow the, bow the knee to me because I'm, I'm the Lord and I love you and I saved you. And all over the world, people are dropping to their knees and saying, yes, I will. So that's what the Lord is building. Fourthly, We've done three ways so far. Fourthly, the violence has been unleashed, verses 15 to 17. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin until they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. So the violence has been unleashed. There's a, a lot here. This is one of the places in the Bible we're reminded that drunkenness is not what Christians are called to. This is one of the places in the Bible we're, we're called to care for creation. You can notice it talks about destruction of animals. It talks about um, violence done to Lebanon. I think that means the great trees of Lebanon. They, they were just cut down to build uh, siege engines and war machines and weapons they say don't do that and he also talks about caring for lands and cities and everyone in them so this is like a call God says I care for the whole of creation I see the violence you've done to it but the main point here seems to be the fourth woe the violence has been unleashed it's a little like Hamlet you know the story of Hamlet by William Shakespeare if you don't everyone dies <laughs> it's kind of like this great Shakespearean tragedy where at the end oh my goodness there's like bodies everywhere and in particular there's this chaotic scene at the end where the poison is in the room and there's poison on the sword tip of the fencing what do you call it foil sword right thank you um, and there's poison in the cup and by the time the poison's out there the people are going to drink the poison and there's death everywhere so the violence has been unleashed by the time the poison is in the room on the stage people are going to die and sure enough they do. The violence has been unleashed. 
And it's rather like that here. You know, he talks about the, the, the cup. That's like the poisoned cup from the Lord's right hand that the rest of the Bible picks up on as well. Jesus talks about the cup that is going to be passed to him. And once Babylon, you've unleashed this kind of violence in the world, it's like you've unleashed this poison. You've, you've, you've invented ways of doing cruelty that the rest of mankind can't forget. You know, some of our church lived through the Second World War and they remember the time when nuclear bombs were invented. You can't uninvent a nuclear bomb. And America had it first and they dropped two and won the war, but then the rest of the world was always going to catch up. Now, lots of people have nuclear bombs. You, you've, you've unleashed this violence on the world. So, woe to you, Babylon, if you think you can start all this violence and then keep it under control. You can't. The violence has been unleashed. And then fifth, fifth woe, it says the earth will be silent, verses 18 to 20. It comes in the middle here, the woe. I don't, I don't really know why, but look, it says in verse 18, of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it, right? So it's, it's silent. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. The point here is about silence. Idols were these statues that ancient people made. You know, they might be made out of brass or wood or stone. I've been to Hindu temples in London where you know, they, they literally bow down to statues. And I thought, this is weird. The statue doesn't speak. This is not a god. But people do that in our city still today. But the Bible insists there is one God. He's enthroned in heaven. All creation will one day be silent before him. So woe to the person who spends his life on idolatry, bowing down to statues instead of the living God. Babylon was particularly known for that. They had Bel and Nebo and they, their own idols that they liked to worship. The earth will be silent. That's the fifth woe. Look, here's the great news, my friends. We've seen all the way through Habakkuk that the end will come. So I want to say to you today, this is the last thing God says in the book of Habakkuk. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. And when you're faced with a, a bully, it can feel like justice is never going to come, right? It can feel like they're in charge. They're, they're the law of the land, but they're not. Justice is coming. And God's people have always maintained that. Justice is coming. In fact, I'd want to say to you as Christians today, we don't just believe in justice like some abstract concept. Oh, justice is coming, I'm so glad. It's like a title on an essay or something. Mm, okay. No, no, no. Justice has a name. Justice grew up in Nazareth. Justice proved himself and will return to judge the living and the dead. Justice is called Jesus Christ our Lord. And justice will come again at the head of an angel army and all the earth will be silent before him. Jesus is the great hope of the world for justice. So what do you do then? Because in the meantime, there are lots of Babylons in the world, aren't there? Well, there are some practical things that I want to suggest to you. It strikes me, um, Jesus wants us to do particular things, not least because he uses the language of woe. We, we heard it only a few weeks ago. Um, Pete Tibbet preached, remember Luke chapter 11? Woe, six woes Jesus pronounced on people in his day. So we're allowed to use them. So I want to say, let's use the woes. 
Use the woes. I think it should re-enter our vocabulary. I'll try and explain what I mean. Um, to give you an example, first of all, this guy is my, uh, my, favorite, my, my favorite character at the moment, apart from Jesus. Um, I've been reading this book a little bit. It's called Bullies and Saints by John Dixon, and he talks about some of the bullies and some of the saints in Christian history. He's trying to be sort of even-handed. He says, I don't just want to pretend that Christians have always been saints. I want to show you some of the bullies as well. But one of the brave saints he talks about, I never knew, he's called Telemachus. And uh, Telemachus was a monk. He lived about 400 AD, and he lived in the Roman Empire. And he's one of those early Christians. And uh, blood sports have been outlawed in the Roman Empire for about 50 years at this point. So can you imagine Russell Crowe in Gladiator, you know, like in the arena? But he was a slave who was made to fight. And in Gladiator bouts, of course, you didn't, you didn't just lose a match. You were murdered. That, that was how the, the, the fight finished. So it was cruel. It was horrible. And the crowds used to, you know, love it and cheer it and look forward to the blood sports. It had been outlawed officially because Romans were cutting on to the fact that actually this is not very good. We, this is unfair and, and, and cruel, but, but the crowd still loved it. So the Colosseum was still open in Rome. Romans used to come and watch it um, all the time and it carried on despite the law. Until Telemachus, the Christian monk, was visiting Rome from the east of the empire in 404 AD. And he came with this injustice on his heart and he went to the Colosseum and he leapt over the guardrail and he ran into the middle of the Colosseum. And he said, stop, you can't do this. This is wrong. You can't do this. And do you know what the crowd did? They were so annoyed that he had interrupted their entertainment that they stoned him to death. And he, he was the blood sport of the day. So he died. But when the Roman emperor, um, who was called Honorius, he heard about Telemachus and what had happened that day, he, he said, no, he's right. This is wrong. We've got to do something about this. And uh, Telemachus, he said, is a martyr. And from now on, there really is no more gladiator fights. There is, there is no more blood sport in my empire. And from that, that day almost, there was no more of that. Today, still, we, we live in Telemachus's legacy, I think, because sport is sport, and you're not allowed to kill people when you do it. So Telemachus is the kind of guy who said, woe to you, this is wrong, woe to you if you carry on doing this, and I'll accept the consequences if you don't like what I'm saying to you. What does it mean for us then? Well, look, here are some suggestions. Um, I've actually got seven of them. I'll be quick, right? Seven practical suggestions, and you will get your lunch, don't worry. Uh, but I'm trying to apply it for you. Firstly, call it out. If someone's doing something wrong in God's world, call it out. Call a bully a bully. Call a Babylon a Babylon. Say something. Because if the whole world trembles in silence before Babylon, Babylon gets away with it. This might even be very private and personal. But if someone in your house is making you do something that you don't want to do, please tell somebody. Please, please, please tell me. It's wrong. So call it out. Secondly, say don't slay. Uh, that's a bit naff, isn't it? But what, what I mean is, um, Habakkuk is this non-violent prophet who, who we can learn from. He, he, he said, woe to you, but he used words, not swords. Right? So he, we, when we stand downstream of that, Jesus Christ himself is our saviour who used words, not swords. I mean, literally, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they came with swords and clubs to capture him. And he says in the Gospels, look, guys, I could call down a legion of angels just to obliterate you right now, 
I'm not going to do that. In fact, you, you over there who've just had your ear cut off in the fighting, you're an enemy of mine, but I'm going to heal your ear. And he sort of heals. Wow. So we, we, we're Christians who stand in the downstream of that, and we get to say, don't slay. I mean, how else will injustices get corrected? They won't get corrected if we unleash more violence on them, will they? They'll get corrected if people speak up against the issues of the day, like flammable tower block cladding, like care situations which are abusive, like mass abortion, like socially acceptable euthanasia, like sex trafficking, like county lines drug smuggling, like modern slavery in London, like Boko Haram wanton violence. You, you may not agree with me on all the things that are on my list of injustices, but I bet you can come up with some. And how else will they ever get corrected if, if people don't speak up, if, if, if they don't say something, but don't slay someone? So say don't slay. Uh, third suggestion, the stronger the bully, the stronger the words. God speaks a very clear and stern word against Babylon here. It actually says in verse six, to taunt him with ridicule and scorn. So I take it, I take it that when you're faced with a superpower who's just like obliterating the earth and cutting down everything and slaying everyone. Strong words are called for. So the stronger the bully, the stronger the words. As your pastor, I wouldn't suggest going straight to every opponent, you know, with the strongest woe. Woe to you! Uh, set your nest on high. But I think, you know, choose appropriate words. Be polite, be, be respectful. But if it's unjust, say something. God actually gives his people a taunt here. A little bit like Dad's Army. You remember Dad's Army um, theme tune? Who do you think? You are kidding, Mr. Hitler, if you think old England's done. That's a, that's a song that was used to taunt Hitler. Uh, and, you know, against the right enemy, it's absolutely appropriate to say you won't get away with it. The stronger the bully, the stronger the words. Fourth thing, uh, warn people about the short-term consequences. Laced into today's woes are both short-term and long-term. So warn people about the short-term consequences. I think it is appropriate to say to rulers and bullies, can I just point out to you, if you make everybody hate you and you teach them really cruel behavior, then one day they're just going to come back and they're going to, they're going to flatten you. They're going to murder you. Have you thought about that? Because this is going to rebound on you. So you point out the short-term consequences to, you, to them. But fifth suggestion, warn people about the long-term consequences. And the long-term consequences for every human being is that we will all face God one day. I think it's, it's absolutely right that Christians, if we know that all the earth, verse 20, this is where it ends up, isn't it? All the earth will one day be silent before God. We need to warn people about that. Sometimes people say to me, I think I'm ready to die or... I think I'm ready to take my own life. Obviously, that's very severe if they got to that point. But I want to try and find a way of saying to them gently, you know that when you take your life, you face your maker. Don't go there until you're sure it's his time and you've got your sins forgiven. Otherwise, it's it's landing on the surface of the sun and all the earth will be silent before him one day. I imagine some great stadium where one day an archangel, you know, will line up all people, the living and the dead, and he'll call for silence, you know. And you could hear a pin drop at that moment. And the record of sins will be read out. 
and there'll be no answer. No one will be allowed to say anything by then. So we need to warn people about the long-term consequences. Woe to you if you think you will get away with this. Sixth thing, encourage the people. Habakkuk's words have been read by countless believers. And, you know, it struck me. Habakkuk, he was pretty low, wasn't he, when we started the book, do you remember? So he could have thought, oh, what's the point? It's so unfair. Babylon are running amok. What's the point in me saying anything? But he encouraged, he opened his mouth, he, he wrote things down, he, he gave it to the people and published his work so that the people could be encouraged. Hearing a brother or sister speak is encouraging, especially in the face of injustice. So you, know, you never know how encouraging your words will be if you speak up and you say something. So call it out, say don't slay. The stronger the bully, the stronger the words. Warn people about the short-term consequences. Warn people about the long-term consequences. Encourage the people. And finally, talk about Jesus. Because we don't believe in justice as abstract. We believe in justice as a person. Jesus put things so beautifully and so non-violently and yet so firmly and clearly that still today nobody is in doubt about what he meant. Jesus has a way of drawing victims to himself, those who have been bullied, and he has a way of humbling bullies and Babylons before himself and one day people will either bow the knee willingly before Jesus or they'll bow the knee because they're forced to before Jesus so if you can't work out to say you know if if the old testament goes over your head and you think what is all this stuff about prophets and woes and things talk about Jesus because he is the great hope for justice in the world Let's do that now, shall we, as we pray to God. Our Lord God Almighty, we lift up our hearts to you. And for some of us, Lord, the, the faces and the names of bullies are, are, are vivid in our minds. The things they did to us or they've done to others that we love. And then, Lord, we, we, could, we could pen some complaints about things we think are unfair in the world. I think there are many injustices in the world, Father, that I long for people to speak up about, for you to put right. And yet we join in with Habakkuk today. We say, woe to, woe to the Babylons. Woe to those who think they will get away with it in God's universe. And Lord Jesus, we love you today. We recognize in you the power, the authority, the gentleness and clarity to put the world right. We pray you would come soon. We pray you give us wisdom as, as we ourselves get to say something against injustice and grow in us, we pray, that longing for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the world. Amen.